You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. 23 through 34. Here we go. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my life, in, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus, of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you farther directions. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So we've been in the midst of this sermon series on beliefs. And in your bulletin, you will find, not that, you will find your sermon outline that looks something like this. It has the, the belief sermon series picture on it, and then the Lord's Supper picture on the top. And so we are looking at this sermon series as a, as a time to reflect, because there will come a day when we will be questioned on what we believe and why we believe it, and frankly, I, I want the church to know what they believe and why they believe it. And so over the, the last several weeks, we've been looking at some things, and, and we're going to get, we're going to look at these, we're going to look at the Lord's Supper today. Every group we are part of has roles, traditions, meanings behind phrases and reasons for doing what they do when they gather. These traditions or words make the group unique and give them an identity. Let me share with you some examples Where I went to college, there was a bell tower that in the main building of campus, it was a tradition that if a guy and a girl got engaged, they would ring the bell at midnight that night. It's the only time that old bell rang. Kind of silly thing, but it was part of the tradition of Baptist, what they used to call Baptist Bridal College, um, Baptist Bible College. I heard that at Texas A&M, there's a phrase, and if you're a Texas A&M fan and I get this wrong, I apologize ahead of time. Gigum Aggies is followed by a thumbs up. I have no idea what an Aggie and a Gigum 
is, or even a thumbs up, what that has to do with each other. But I'm betting that if you went to Texas A&M, all of those things would be understood by everyone. When you go into any store on a U.S. military base, this one I looked up, especially overseas, it is customary to show your military ID at the door to get in and is always required when checking out. It's just what you do and are expected. It's an expected rule that is known. No ID, no purchase. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and other organizations all have traditional ways of using hands to greet one another, of using their hands to greet one another. Salute and communicate and say pledges. A person would not know the hand signs and has to be taught them once a part of the group. Holidays often have traditions like wearing green on St. Patrick's Day or eating turkey on Thanksgiving Day, but someone from another country may not have those traditions. Certainly Christmas traditions vary from country to country, and some of them would be unknown to us if we were in their country at Christmas time. What does all of this mean? My point is this, that there are groups and holidays and sports teams that have traditions and rituals that make you a part of the group. Once you know the tradition, you are more part of what is going on. Most of the time, traditions and rituals have significance and a meaning behind them that are treasured by the people who are in the group. They mean something specific to the group members. They identify the values of the group. They tie the current members to people who have been there before. This morning, this morning, we're going to focus on one of those traditions, if you would. But it should be more than that. To those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, whichever word you want to use, same thing, unique and particular community of believers. That's why today I named the sermon communion Itity. It's a day, a play on words. As we have done over the last two weeks, we are looking at the definition of a member in good standing in our series on beliefs. This is just for this week, and then we're done with this section of the discipline of the Evangelical Congregational Church. Here's what it says, again, about a member's in good standing. It'll be on the screen as well. In order to continue as a member in good standing of the Evangelical Congregational Church, it is necessary that you live in harmony with the discipline. Attend public services, we talked about that last week, commune during the year, and contribute to the support of the local congregation. We talked about that the week before last week. A part of the definition of a member in good standing in the EC discipline, being a disciple of Christ in the Bible, is one who participates in communion throughout the year. Now, for those newer to the EC church, the only requirements is, is that we have communion four times a year. If you had a discipline in front of you, that's what it would say. Some have it more often, like we, but like us. We usually have it six to, six to seven times a year. But you're not supposed to have it less. 
than four times a year. The Bible never gives any indication of that, how often we should partake of it. It just gives us some thoughts of what it means and how important it should be. So today, I'd like to take a few moments to look at this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, in the passage, the Apostle Paul is not pleased with the way the Corinthian church is handling communion. What's ended up happening is if we were having communion like we usually do, not in the pews this morning, we would have the communion elements up here, up front, and they would be in gold trays and, um, or brass trays, and they would be sitting here. And what was happening in the Corinthian church was people were coming in hungry or thirsty. And so what they would do is they would come up and they would help themselves to the, to the communion elements. They would just, you know, hog them down. And before communion even got started, some of them were drunk because they didn't use grape juice. And so the Apostle Paul gets word of this, and, and please, this isn't, this isn't um, surprising for the Corinthian church. They had a lot of problems. And so the Apostle Paul deals with it in the 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but you need to know that background. He's saying these things, and you're not going to learn anything today um, in the sense of that it's going to be rocket science. But he's repeating it because he, say, he sees that the Corinthian church is making it something it is not. It's making it about filling their bellies or filling their, their thirst, not about Jesus Christ's body and blood. So here's the question we're asking this morning so what is it? What is communion? Because I believe that many people have sat in churches like you do every week and sometimes think they know what communion is and have a very good idea of it, but they maybe don't go far enough. And today I want to remind you of all that communion is, and then we will partake of communion together as the body of Christ. There are five powerful answers to this question. Here's the first one. Communion is an example. This is your first blank on your sermon outline. Communion is an example. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took his cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now here's what communion is an example of. It's an example of the Passover of the Old Testament. In fact, the reasoning for Paul using the cup instead of wine is because of the Old Testament use of the cup of God's wrath. And so in the Old Testament, you will read several times the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's wrath. And so literally what Jesus is doing when he sets up the Lord's Supper in the passage, in, in, in the Gospels, what he's doing is he's showing you that the, God, that the cup of God's wrath is being taken by your Savior for you. And so it's an Old Testament example of what the Passover, you remember the Passover when they had to kill a lamb and the lamb had to have a certain amount of, couldn't have any uh, issues and all these things and it had to be an age and it had to be this and it had to be that. And then they took that lamb's blood and they put it on the, 
on the, on the door frames, and then the angel of death came along, and if you, didn't, if you had the blood of the lamb on your door frames, what ended up happening? It passed over your house. If you didn't, consequences were there. And so Jesus, in this New Testament way of taking communion, says, listen, uh, I, this isn't about killing animals and shed, shedding blood. This is about once and done, friend. And so instead of using the word blood, Paul uses the word cup so that the Jewish people that are reading back in that day and age and, you know, eventually us, would catch on that Jesus is doing something greater, far greater than we ever even imagined. He's taking the cup of God's wrath and he's drinking it himself for you. He doesn't deserve God's wrath. You do. took on that wrath we deserved to experience. It's an example of also of your faith in Jesus Christ because it's for you. Catch that? It's an example also of your faith in Jesus Christ because he did it if you were the only person here to do it for. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that, and maybe you can't, and thank God you can't, but I can. We have no problem with John 3.16 that said, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the world. Yes, he loved the world. But when it comes down to Brett Kindig, wait, 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 no, no. He, he couldn't have loved me that much. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's setting us up here and he's saying, listen, friends, this is for you. Yes, you, the Corinthian church, who is known as the church gone wild, who sins in everything she does, who even takes the Lord's Supper in a way that is not God-honoring. In fact, later on in the book, the Apostle Paul says that when you take the Lord's Supper, it is not the Lord's Supper that you take. It's something degraded. It's something disgusting. It's something that makes God's hair stand up on his head if he has hair. I don't know. Because you take it in such a way that is not right. The Corinthian church. And so it's an example to you of the fact that, yes, for God so loved the world, but that means that for God so loved Michelle Kindig, Brett Kindig, Freddie Kindig, Serenity Kindig, I'll pick on my family. Fill your name in there. Even while you sit in your filth, 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pretty powerful. And dare I say that in 2022, sometimes we take of this bread and this juice and we don't realize it. We take saying he did this for the world. No, friends, he did it for you. Secondly, oh, now before we go into number two, go back to number one. It's an example of remembering his sacrifice. It's a memorial of the sacrifice. And so it's an example of doing what we're going to do tomorrow. What are we doing tomorrow? We're, we're, yeah, we may have picnics and we may have things to do, but, but really in all reality, we should be remembering those who have given of their lives. And so Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper so that we would remember his death. Why would he do that? Here's a clue. Because he knows you're going to forget. In almost every EC church, there's a communion table just like this. You'll notice the words that go across the front of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he knows we'll forget. We'll forget when we act out of character towards somebody else who, who was died for and blood, blood was shed for as well. We'll forget when we say that thing that we shouldn't have said and we know it as soon as it goes out of our mouths. We'll forget when we walk our own walk and don't, don't care to understand what he has for us. We'll forget when we make it about everything but him. We'll forget when the gospel is the farthest thing from our minds when we're walking with people. You see how all the ways we can forget? And see, we, we read the Old Testament, and, and, and you know, I, I do it too. And, and one of the things that was so refreshing about it <laughs> at National Conference this past week, and, and I promise this will be my last illustration from National Conference, it, it was so refreshing because Pastor Randy looked us in the eyes and he said things that I have felt my, for the last two years. And he said, I know you have felt it, pastors, because I have felt it. And just like that, let me tell you something. The reason we forget so soon and the reason we forget is because they forgot in the Old Testament too. And we get so flustered with them, right? Don't you? I mean, uh, maybe I'm the only one. I read about Israel and they, they get out of this jam. They're in this jam and all of a sudden God saves them. Not two to three days later, maybe weeks later, not two to three days later, they're up against jam number two. And what do they do? They say things like, God, did you bring us out here to die? Are you kidding me? 
Our economy goes south, and what do we think? Up, oh, end of the world. He no longer has his foot on the pedal. We're going to hell in a breadbasket. And yet he's been so faithful over the years to all of us. And we point at Israel and say, what are you you guys, dumb? You don't get it? He got you out of that jam two or three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden you're questioning whether he's even on the throne anymore. No one else has to, but I'll admit it this morning. There are times when things go south here at Faith Church, and I think to myself, oh, here it is. Here it is. He's off the throne. He's got his hands off the wheel, rolling out of control. Is there any wonder why he says, do this in remembrance of what I did for you? And I would bet to say the person who's saying right in their head right now, I never did that, is the one who does it the most. You just got to be humble to admit it. David did it. You bring in my enemies to kill me? David, he saved you like 15 times. Oh, this is the end of it. They're going to kill me now. So Jesus sets this up as an example. He says, I want you to remember every so often, and in the EC church, it's four times a year, sometimes more. I want you to remember that when times get tough, think of that cross. Think of the price that I paid, Jesus says, for your ultimate freedom. Number two, communion is a memorial. Kind of goes with, yes, this is, that's what I was talking about. But here's number 26, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's again a memorial. It's an action of eating and drinking. Here is what concerns the Apostle Paul. It's not what is said during the meal or even after the meal, but that the action of eating and drinking of Jesus' body and blood be taken seriously, unlike the Corinthian church was doing. Literally, Paul is saying, because they rush it and eat it like pigs and get drunk on the wine, by those actions, they are not proclaiming the Lord's death. In fact, he says at one point, they are fooling themselves if they think they are partaking of the Lord's Supper. I don't know about you, but when I was sitting in my hotel room reading these, these scripture passages, that pretty much made me sit up and take notice. These aren't small accusations by the Apostle Paul, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that someday Faith Church will learn from the lessons of the Corinthian church, and other churches will learn from the lessons of the Corinthian church. You see, this Passover, the Passover itself was a memorial recalling the Israelites' redemption from Egypt. 
The Lord's Supper, by the way of contrast, is a memorial to Christ himself who redeemed his people. That's us who have a relationship with him from the bondage of sin. From the bondage of sin. Did you, did you hear me? If you have a relationship with him, you have freedom from the bondage of sin. You don't have to sin. You have freedom from the bondage of sin. Are you asking us to live a perfect life? No, I'm not asking you to live a perfect life. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes we go the opposite direction. The pendulum swings in the whole opposite direction. Right? I, I have to do this. I have to do this because this, 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 this is who I am. Nope. As a 22-year-old, I believe something about myself that um, came up in conference, not, not in my own head. It was just... I believe that forever I would be like a diamondite rocket. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brett? Well, let me share with you that, you know, it's not a secret from the pulpit that the Kindicks always had this way of handling situations, and it was 0 to 106.4 seconds. Many of Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals were ruined. Because instead of citizens sitting peacefully, something was said off-color or something was said, and all of a sudden the fork was dropped and Boom! Ruined. I was going through some things and my wife sat me down the other week and she didn't know I was going to use this as an illustration. I'll put up with that later. I'll sleep in the shed tonight. She said, look at me. Look at me, Brett Kendig. Okay, I'll look at you. You are not the Brett Kendig that you were 10 years ago. There are things that pushed your buttons 10 years ago that would have blown you up at that supper table, and you just take it and move on with life. Now, before you say, proud of you, Pastor, it isn't about me. Because it clicked one day. I don't have to live like this. This is what he tells me. Is it going to be work? Yeah. 
Am I going to get it right every week? No. But I don't have to live like that. That's what we're saying here in the Lord's Supper. It's being a memorial to remind us that, you know what? Someone did something for us to change our trajectory completely. When we were once walking south, we now walk north. It's like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. What's he doing before he gave meets Jesus on the Damascus Road? He's killing Christians. He's an angry guy. He really is. He's got a tude like no one else's. How does a guy like that become a missionary for Jesus Christ and write a good portion of the New Testament? Because God got a hold of his life. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he, he wants to remind us. Every so often he wants us to stop and think. Am I living for me or am I living for the guy who did this? It's a memorial. It's a memorial. The cool thing is that when we gather, he gathers with us in celebration. As we do what's next, here's what it is. It says communion is an expectation. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time you partake of it, you are saying something about Jesus. And here's what you're saying is, it ain't the end of the story yet. You know that? Every time you take of the blood and the body, what you are saying is, is, is that you believe you believe that he's coming back someday. That this isn't all to, that we're to live for. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted the church to know. The Corinthian church didn't get it. Do we? That every time we partake of this, we do so, again, his words, not mine, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we do that until he comes? Because when he comes, all this mess will be cleaned up. There's no more reason for remembrance because we're going to be in his presence. And so until he comes, we must remember what he has done for us. The body broken, the blood shed. But after he comes, there's no more need for remembrance. Because we're going to be in his presence. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but some of the things that I see in this world, there are times when I... And sometimes it's half-hearted. I will apologize for that right away. But sometimes I look up to the heavens and I say, even so, Lord Jesus, please come. How much more can you watch?
And so the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthian church here, not warning, but, but, but throwing up the red flag saying, listen, you're saying something about your theology every time you partake of this. You're saying that you believe that he's coming back someday for the church, and that would be for those who know him as their Lord and Savior. Now, we can disagree. Is that going to be mid-trib, post-trib? Some of you aren't even knowing what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Is it going to be mid-tribulation? Is it going to be post-tribulation? Is it going to be pre-tribulation? We can disagree when it's going to happen. We can disagree about all that other stuff, and that's why I sometimes don't even enter those battles. Because I know one thing. He's coming back. Is it going to be mid-trib? Post-trib, pre-trib, I believe there's going to be some people who have been dogmatic about those beliefs and been very, very passionate about their belief and saying that if you believe anything else, you're sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe there will be some people that will get to heaven and go, Ooh, you didn't come back when I thought you were going to. Better eat that humble pie. point here is is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper we partake in a way that says we are saying the Lord is coming back someday for us that know him number four communion is an examination it's an examination now listen in verse 28 it says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup This is where it becomes communionity. Many times we come to this passage of Scripture and we automatically think of inspection of our heart. While that's part of it, there's more to it. Let me throw a twist and a curveball in it, and and, and I'm not doing this to make you rethink or to do anything other than to just, just consider this. To examine one's compliance with the covenant as reflected in their ways of relating to other members of the Christian community. That's directly out of a commentary. Here's what we think of when we see that everyone, and notice the word everyone is, is underlined in, in there, and I always say tongue-in-cheek when I'm preaching on this passage. Everyone in the Greek means everyone. <laughs> Um, just in case you don't know that, everyone, no one should be able to come to the Lord's Supper and not examine themselves. But instead of examining ourselves on how we do with what we do, what we know, and that's what many people believe about the Lord's Supper. Oh, I'm supposed to examine myself. Well, who are you supposed to examine yourself to? What kind of examination are you supposed to give yourself? I would have loved the professor that would have said to me in Bible college or in seminary or in high school, um, a teacher that would have said to me, you examine yourself and give yourself a grade. Because you know what would have been my word, <laughs> A plus. And how many of us do that when it comes to communion time? I've got it pretty licked, God. I haven't killed anybody yet. I didn't even curse in the last week. Yeah. 
No, what the, what the Apostle Paul is writing about is, is he's looking and he's saying, now remember, what, he, what is he seeing here? This is important to this. He's seeing a church that's doing it all wild. They don't, they don't care about the rules. They don't care about the regulations. They don't care about what God set up. They just do what they want to do. And so when he says the word examine, there's something in the Greek that catches the scholar's attention. And the word examine is to examine ourselves not unto how do we think we did ourselves, but no, how did we do in living the covenant out? In other words, picture this. Did you actually confront the person who came up here and grabbed all the bread and ate it so that nobody else could eat it? Did you actually care that someone was living out of sin with the Lord's Supper? And, and, and did you actually come and do something about it? Or did you just turn a blind eye to it and say, that's not my responsibility, that's the pastor's, man. Because you see, when we live in covenant together, when we live in a covenant membership together as a body of Christ, and I don't like to use the word membership because then some people automatically in their head say, well, boom, I'm out. No, no, no. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the universal church, whether you're in our red book or not. Therefore, you are just as responsible for what your brother and sister do as the pastor is. That's what the Apostle Paul is asking them to examine. Why is it that I'm away from this church? Paul, this is Paul, not me. And I hear stories of you taking communion like you're a bunch of pigs. And no one seems to care. See, that's why context is so important. Some can read this scripture passage and say, oh, I've got to examine myself. I've got to look in my heart and see if I've done anything wrong. The problem is, is who you are examining yourself up against. You're examining yourself up against yourself. And in which case, you're always going to pass. But have you loved one another like he loved us? That's the question the Apostle Paul is asking. As he says, examine one another. In other words, those who think they've rocked the Christian life and have not shown love to others by rubbing their noses into it should check their pride at the door. The commentary goes on. How we interact with one another as one's given life by the sacrificial of Christ matters. We must be careful not to make this a dead formal ritual. J. Vernon McGee says this in his commentary. You have the bread in your mouth, but you have Christ in your heart. May God help us to come to the table that Jesus Christ will be a reality to us. God forgive us if we make this a dead formal ritual. Hence what the Corinthian church was doing. There's two ways to take communion in an unworthy manner. Here's what they are, very quickly. Number one, letter A, don't have a relationship with Jesus. Now, you should not come to Faith Church for long and not hear this. 
I mean, if you say you didn't hear this in the last eight years that I've been here, I can't speak for other pastorates. You and me to have a talk. Every time we have communion, we go through this. Must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Must. There's, there's no choice in that. Letter B is this. Have a deep-seated sin and not care about it. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Now notice the last half of that, though. Not care about it. That's the struggle. See, sometimes people look at sin and they say, well, how comes you as a pastor can serve a church and you have this sin in your life and the pastor down the road has this sin in their life and you don't think they should serve the church? There's only one difference. I've fallen on my knees before my Lord, my God, and said, I made a huge mistake. And I broke your heart. 1 A or person B may not have done that. They may have said, I don't care that the word says this. And they just continued to live. See, that's how when we get into people saying we shouldn't judge other people, it gets murky. Yeah, we should. You do. How do I judge people? Aren't there some people that you say they really need Jesus in their lives? (gasps) But here's the difference. Judgment, real judgment, by the Bible's definition of judgment is when we tell somebody that they're going to hell and they have no chance of coming back. So you're not saying when you say they need Jesus in their lives that they're going to hell and there's no chance of coming back. You're simply making an observation. All that to say that it's important how we act. It's important how we deal with things. I just told you that on Thursday, there was seriously a time, I'm sitting on the bus. I'll explain that on Thursday. (laughs) But we were in a bus. We were in a classroom, but it was made to be a bus. I'm sitting on the bus, and I'm thinking, and I'm sitting back in my chair, and I'm thinking to myself, as Bishop Bruce is going over all this stuff that he's teaching us, and I'm thinking to myself, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, um, I need to spend next week at the altar rail at Faith Church. Because I believe things about people that aren't true. Because you see, I wasn't living in the covenant rightly. Now, God and I dealt with that. But unfortunately for you, you might need to deal with it. 
Are you believing things that just simply aren't true? Maybe about your own pastor. That's what Paul's asking them to examine. But Paul continues in verse 29 of verse 32. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick. And he goes on, and I'm going to kind of just cut this short. Here's what I want you to realize in verse 29. The body of Christ is the church, not the body of Jesus. Listen, in verse 29, listen to what it says. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ... That's where we get this point about this, this, this how do you live in covenant. Because in verse 29, he says the body of Christ. But, but he's not talking about the body of Christ that we're going to celebrate today by being broken. What he's talking about is the, the illustration of the church. What do we call the church? The body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ. And so what he's saying is, is listen, there are those that eat and drink without discerning the rest of the body. See, communion is not just about what you're doing. Communion is not about me, it's about we. And so, yes, even though when we come to the altar rail, sometimes we come as one table after another, we come as the entire church. And so when you partake of this body and this blood, you are not partaking of it as me. You're partaking of it as we community. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 